The following sermon was preached at Redeeming Grace Fellowship. For more information about RGF, please visit our website at www.rgf.church. Please feel free to make copies of this sermon or distribute to friends and family. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. A couple weeks back, um, I was in my kitchen getting ready to leave the house. Um, and uh, I, I was going to head off to the grocery store, so I had my shopping list. And my wife came into the kitchen, and she says to me, Oh, remember the soap packets for the washer? And I'm standing there, and I'm looking at the sink, and I'm watching. I'm looking at this big pile of dishes that, that weren't there like a half hour ago. It was like somebody stuck some dishes in there, and they had children. You ever had that happen? And, and they all have dirt on them. So I'm thinking, I will gladly go to the store, get the soap packets, and uh, come home and load the, the washer. So I went off to the store. I got the soap packets. I came home. And I unload it in the kitchen, and my wife looks at it, and she goes, where's the laundry soap? Ah, she wanted laundry soap packets for the clothes washer, not for the dishwasher. Well, what does that have anything to do with what we're going to talk about here right now? Have you ever had that happen where the two of you are carrying out a conversation and you're using the same terminology throughout the conversation, and then you get to the end and you realize you're talking about two radically different things, mm-hmm. right? So that whole conversation was completely worthless, and now both of you are walking away frustrated and confused. And uh, when we ask the question, which is what the title of this talk is, is how does the gospel change us? To have a meaningful discussion, we must make sure that we're operating from the same definition. So, what is the gospel? We've got a lot of things out there parading before us, uh, particularly on Sunday morning, uh, that parades itself as the gospel when indeed it is not. So how do we go about defining the gospel? Well, we go back to God and we go back to his word. We let him define it. What is the gospel? In word, how is it stated by God? 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. Right there. He's telling us what's coming. Here's the gospel. Which I preach to you, which, is also, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, above all else. Here it is. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. There it is. That's the gospel. How is the gospel described in words? Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried, and Christ was raised. The rest of the scriptures unfold what that means and points out all the implications of this being true. But this is the fundamental gospel. This is it. This is the seed from which all other things come in our Christian walk. What is the gospel in substance? What is the essence or being of it? Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Heads up, here it is. We're going to learn something more about the gospel. For it is the power, the dynamis 
of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What is the gospel in substance? Something with dynamic power, the power necessary to induce change. It is the dynamis, that's the word that's used here, it's the dynamis of God for salvation. It is the means by which he brings it about. Contrary to the thinking of many, the law is not the dynamis. Therefore, the Jew needs it for, the sal- for salvation as well as the Greek, which Mikey so eloquently unfolded for us. The gospel <laughs> induces change. We will talk about the change that it brings in a moment, but right now what we need to do is get to the gospel itself as the agent of change. It is not the law. It is not positive thinking or self-determination. It is not the gospel that gets me saved, and then I produce the residual change. Right? Right, Galatians. Galatians 3.3, Paul rebukes the believers for doing just that when he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to know or find out from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Implied in that is that's how you got saved. Are you so foolish then, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? When my daughter Taylor gets sick and needs to be injected with an antibiotic, she has absolutely nothing to do with the healing other than bringing the disease. I place her in the right place at the right time to receive the injection. The doctor delivers the shot, and the medicine that is injected does all the dynamic work, whether she is thinking about it or not. And might I add, whether she's pushing him or not. It even works while she is sleeping. Okay? The gospel is the dynamic agent of change. It is the medicine that has no reliance on the carrier of the disease to carry out all of its objectives. What is the gospel in manifestation? What is its effect? Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power. There's the effect. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. How does that power manifest? Not by working miracles, not by putting on a wonderful TV show on Sunday morning. It's manifest by being witnesses. So, From this point forward in this session, ground rule number one is that whenever the term gospel is used, whenever I use that in my speech, it is used in accordance with this initial definition from 1 Corinthians. For our purposes, the term gospel will carry with it the components of Christ dying for our sins, his burial, and his rising from the dead, thus demonstrating his power and victory over death. How then does the gospel change us? What is the result or effect produced by Christ's death and resurrection? While we consider some of the ways the gospel changes us, we must ever be mindful of how the gospel changes us. Let's not forget that, and let's not mix that up. In other words, we need to make sure that in anticipating all the wonderful changes that take place, we don't fail to realize that the gospel is the agent of change throughout 
the change and not some other force. Amen? Okay, now, how does it change us? I kind of got on a rant mode like Jim did earlier (laughs) when I wrote this, so bear with me. We are currently enduring the age of the snowflake, and the depiction of man's sinful nature has been downplayed so as not to offend. Unfortunately, that robs us of the awe that should be induced when we see the gospel and its change of our lives. When we consider change in something, for us to appreciate the magnitude, magnitude of change, we must first uh, understand that the, uh, the changing object's original state and compare it to its modified state. If I don't completely understand the beginning state, then I will not appreciate the magnitude of change. In each of the following points, it is necessary that we first consider our anthropological condition before the gospel takes effect so that the change that results from the gospel's intrusion into our lives is that much more magnified. When we take the snowflake approach that our culture does right now and we downplay sin and we downplay the depravity of our state, when God does phenomenal things, we don't see it as clearly. Right? But when I see the wonderful things that are produced in my life, not by me, but by God, and I first realize what a horrible mess I was before I got there, it appears so much bigger. Right? So, here's the first point. Before the gospel, I was dead. But God made me aware. Genesis 2.17 is where it all starts. This is where the pattern begins. But from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he's telling uh, Adam here, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it, or from it, you will surely die. There's an element of immediacy there. On the day that you do it, it's going to occur. Here is where the notion of sin bringing about death begins. Here is also where we are introduced to a strange kind of death that Mike hit on earlier. Adam and Eve ate and didn't drop dead the moment that they ate. Okay? But they must have died in some way because God said that they would in that day. So we now know we've got this death. We might not be able to see it, but it's there. Although Adam and Eve are still upright and their hearts still beating and they still have brain waves. Romans 3.23 starts to draw us into a clarification of what this is. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now it's not just Adam and Eve, now it's all. And the Greek word in there still means all. Romans 6.23 says, For, therefore, since we've all died, so what? It says the wages of sin is death. There's a death penalty for this. We are now under this strange type of death penalty that keeps us breathing and thinking and walking and talking, but we're still dead. How does that occur? Colossians 2.13 and Ephesians 2.1, here's where we start to see it. Both make reference to the audience members who are receiving this writing from Paul And he says in both of those letters, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. 
So there is some way to be physically alive and still some other type of dead. Okay? And it is intrinsically tied in with trespasses and sins. Okay? These are living people being told that they were dead at one point. Therefore, this death must be one other than the physical lack of brain waves and a beating heart. What does this death look like? How is it experienced by physically alive people? Well, here it goes. If I walk in here with a box full of pizza and I say, hey, Mike, eat some pizza. And somewhere in the last couple hours, Mike died. Well, he's sitting there in the chair, keeled over. And no matter how much I flash that pizza in front of him, here, smell this, right? There's no response. He's dead. Everything, the, the object by which he absorbs and receives information from his environment has shut down completely. A physically dead person does not respond to physical stimuli, right? Similarly, a spiritually dead person does not respond to spiritual stimuli. They may be physically alive, but they're spiritually dead. 1 Corinthians 2.14 supports this by stating, the natural person, that's the individual who has not been affected by the gospel, they have not had their lives transformed, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He doesn't have the spiritual mechanism inside to make sense of what he's receiving in his spiritual environment. Prior to the intrusion of the Spirit into our lives, which was made possible by the gospel, we were dead, unreceptive to God's prompting. As a result of the gospel, I am made alive, cognitively aware now of my condition. It now makes sense to me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him, referring to Christ, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The death penalty that we talked about earlier that made us dead was paid by the only one who didn't have a death penalty to pay. I can't pay your death penalty because I got my own to pay. And at the same time, when he took that upon himself... He took that from us, and he gave to us his righteous record. I didn't earn it. I didn't even ask for it. Colossians 2.13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. While you were dead. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great, light, great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Again, that occurred while you were dead. Okay? There's, there's not a waking up here first. We're dead. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 15a, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But the spiritual man judges all things. He now has the mechanism. 
So, before the gospel, I was dead, but God worked through the gospel to make me aware. Second point. Before the gospel, I boldly sinned, but God made me care. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived, walked, existed in, habitually, in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. To live or walk in something is basically to dwell in a state of being with no sense of need to stop. Galatians five nineteen to 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Or in other words, that means by which the natural man regularly operates or functions is immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Guys, without some sort of intrusion, we are hell-bent. Colossians 3, 5 to 10. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Before the gospel, I boldly sinned. And I didn't care. Okay, sin was fun then, and yes, sin is still fun now. It's just that now there's a hangover. And I'm fully aware of it. Okay? So at what point do we wake up? If left to our own devices, we will walk through life in a way that is not just different, but that is antithetical to God's character and destructive to us. And it only gets worse as time goes on unless God intrudes in our lives with the gospel and its effects. I can't do that myself. I need an intruder. Romans 1 lays out the unredeemed man's condition and the decay in a rather graphic way. And uh, Mike read this earlier. I'm going to read it again. Hopefully review will do us some good. But what I want you to do is, is watch the deterioration. Okay? If left to our own devices, this is where we're going. Romans 1, 21 to 32 For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Okay? But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. 
professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and the birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So we've already demoted. You know, we've already decayed. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So we didn't give thanks and we dropped. Instead of worshiping the creator, we now worship the creation and we're dropping. For this reason, verse 26, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women, exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of this error. Everybody watching this? Okay. And as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they knew, although they know the ordinance of God, see, it's one thing to act out of ignorance. This is an ignorance. Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they know that. Not only do they do the same thing, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. How far we fall if left to our own devices. Okay? As a result of the gospel, though, we are enabled to repent and to desire righteousness. Galatians 5, 22 to 24. But the fruit of the Spirit, when the Spirit is present, there is a desire. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature... The old things, all those descriptions of the flesh, have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Not just new practices, but new understanding, new awarenesses. Second Peter 1, 3-4, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So, the Lord intrudes. We go from that state of sinning boldly to a new state of being aware and, and actually caring about what it is we're doing. So, before the gospel entered, I was dead, but God worked through the gospel to make me aware. Before the gospel, I sinned boldly, but God worked through the gospel to make me care. Finally, before the gospel, I was a child of wrath, but God has now made me an heir. Okay? Ephesians 2, 3 through 4 says, Among them them being the unredeemed sons of disobedience, 
we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We're not just a blank slate, and we're not okay. And it's not even that we're born this way. We're conceived this way. You've got that spiritual genetic code planted in you the moment the seeds come together. As a result of the gospel, though, my spiritual genetics, my heritage, changes. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. No longer a child of wrath, but now a child of God. Titus 3, 6 through 7 says, This is the Spirit he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we would become heirs with the hope of eternal life. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I get now as God's kid. Okay? One of them is right here, and that is the hope of eternal life. And it's not a hope of, oh, I hope so. It's a hope of, I can't wait. I know it's coming. I just got to get there. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits, referring to angels, sent out to do what? Render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Not only do you have salvation to inherit, but you also have a whole barrage of heavenly military to get you there. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into what? An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but I deliberately stated each of my title heads in the first person. Before the gospel, I was dead, but God made me aware. Before the gospel, I sinned boldly, but God made me care. Before the gospel... I was a child of wrath, but God made me an heir. My reason for doing that is that I can only speak for myself. I don't know your condition uh, or standing before the Lord. Only you can answer that. But in a setting like this, there are in general three groups of people. Uh, Group one is the group that completely gets it. Uh, The Holy Spirit has intruded with the gospel and has made God make sense to them. They are able to rejoice, and as a result of knowing that, they have been changed by the gospel. Group two may not be sure whether they are dead or alive. They're confused. There may be times in their life where things they thought made sense to them, or maybe they had some kind of emotional experience. Maybe they had an authentic encounter with the Lord. I don't know. But right now, they don't know where they stand. They know the truth, but often struggle or live in such a way that would bring into question whether they get it or not. 
Group three consists of those who know that up to this point they have not been changed by the gospel and are at least intrigued in learning more or are ready for that change. For group one, amen, and I hope this has been uh, edifying and empowering to you. For groups two and three, though, we are here to help. Uh, Nothing would bring any one of us greater joy than to introduce you to our Savior and to help you grow in your walk with him. Anybody that's been up here today, uh, we are fair game. Come and talk to us.